our Scripture reading this morning. I'm going to be sharing with you from Matthew, Matthew uh, chapter 26. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to His disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, He began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with Me. And going a little further, He fell on His face and He prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And He came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And He said to Peter, So could you not watch with Me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, Jesus went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, Your will be done. And again, the same, again He came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, He went away and He prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Our catechism question number four. This is for the kids before we dismiss. How and why did God create us? How and why did God create us? The answer, God created us male and female and in His own image to glorify Him. That's our catechism question for the day. And now your kids are dismissed and the teachers as well. In the Apostles' Creed, as we're going through it, we've been preaching on it the last few weeks. This will be our fourth message on it. And uh, we'll be dealing with the phrase uh, or the the part that says that uh, referring to Jesus Christ, He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. And the third day He rose again from the dead. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Jesus was arrested by the leaders of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, and the temple guard, and was brought before Pilate. Uh, but first they would had a couple of trials, if you will. They They brought him before the council of the Hebrew leadership, but it was in the middle of the night, which ironically makes it an illegal trial. Here they are talking about keeping the law and observing the law and all of the things that they do, and then they turn around and do it in the cloak of night and uh, because they were intimidated by what the people might do. And so uh, Jesus is brought before them, and they decide, and actually had decided before the council ever met, 
that Jesus needed to go. He needed to be put to death. The thing was, the Jewish people did not have the ability with, under the Roman uh, oversight that was over them uh, to enforce the death penalty. So they needed Rome to do this, and therefore they needed Pilate to take care of this for them. And so this is where we come into this. Uh, I started with this, uh, you know, prior to going to Pontius Pilate, Jesus was in Gethsemane. That's why I read that chat, those verses specifically. And he prayed that the cup would be removed. The cup that he's talking about is the cup of wrath. It's the cup of judgment. There's a few scriptures in the Old Testament that identify it. The cup of wrath or the cup of judgment. And Jesus asked that it would be removed, that He would not have to drink it. Drinking it means to ingest it, to make it... He's going to take on the judgment, internalize it. He's going to do it completely. And... uh, Again, he was arrested by the temple guards and the Pharisees and be brought before the Sanhedrin. And then uh, Jesus was delivered to Pilate. In Mark chapter 14, verse 53, we get a little bit more of the picture of this. Jesus before the council. It says, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And then it goes on, verse 55, it says, Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put Him to death. But they found none. Now, so here they're having this meeting in the night, which is wrong. And now they're looking for the the witnesses to to put Jesus to death. And it says, they found none. For many bore false witness against Him, but their testimony did not agree. You needed the agreement of of at least two or more to, to bring a charge, and they couldn't get an agreement among them. So, three things going wrong here now. And some stood up and bore false witness against Him, saying, We heard Him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. That is not what He said. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst of, of uh, and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But He remained silent. Jesus remained silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face, and to strike him, and saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. So this is the beginning of the the evening. Towards the morning they come before Pilate. 
And John, I'll read the account of what happened there with John, starting with John chapter 18. Verse 28 of chapter 18 of John says, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas. This would be the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Jewish leadership. From the house of Caiaphas, who was the high priest, to the governor's headquarters, which would be Pilate. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. Here, all of this other stuff that they had done, illegally and wrongly, but they, they couldn't do this one thing. This was a higher sin in a sense, and, and that would be to be defiled by uh, approaching Pilate or coming into his presence uh, too closely and therefore not being able to eat the Passover because they would be considered unclean. Such inconsistencies are all the way through this. So Pilate went outside. He, he, can, he went along with it. Pilate went outside to them and he said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This, is, this was to fill, fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to, how he, <clears throat> to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And the reason why it was important that it would go through Rome was, what is the way the Romans executed a capital offense or someone that was to be executed, they did it by the cross. And Jesus said that's how he would die. And it's also Old Testament as well. Jesus went on and says, Then Pilate took Jesus. There was an interaction between Pilate and Jesus. And then Pilate took Jesus and he scourged him. How, how, I'm sure most of you, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir somewhat here, uh, understand the idea of a scourging, but it was done by a Roman whose job it was to do the scourging, to do the whipping. They used what was called a cat of nine tails. It was a short-cropped uh, whip uh, with a large handle like this, and then nine strips off of it, each strip having a piece of pottery or something like that tied to it so that it would rip or tear. And the standard punishment was 40 lashes less one. And uh, so Jesus comes and, and uh, it, before Pilate, there's an interchange between them. And in fact, Pilate, he's looking at this and saying, man, I don't want anything to do with this. Send him to Herod. He's from Galilee. And then Herod sends him back. And so all of this transpiring, Pilate finally has him scourged and, and then the soldiers, and, and then turn us over to the soldiers. And this is what happens there. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Now here he's had him scourged, which is a form of capital punishment. A majority of the people who were scourged died from it. And 
yet he's saying, I find no guilt in him. So why is he doing all of this? To keep peace with the Sanhedrin. He doesn't want to get a riot on his hands. The last thing a Roman governor in a place like the Middle East at that point in time wanted, that was kind of like the last opportunity for Pilate to make good, uh, wanted was to have a confrontation that ended up into a riot of some kind. So he's trying to play both ends off here. And so he finally gets to this point where he says he's been, he's been, he's been scourged, he's been mocked, he's been beaten. Uh, here he is. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man! And when the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And then Jesus speaks. He says, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, He who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. God's covering this whole thing. God is allowing it to happen. Why is He allowing it to happen? It's part of the plan of salvation. I want you, we, we need to, to, to get to this point where we look at the battered, beaten Christ and see Him as the man beaten, as the flesh torn, not even yet on the cross. All for our sake. All so that we can stand before the throne of God and as He looks at us, He sees us through Jesus Christ and sees us as without sin. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Matthew chapter 27, We get a picture of of what is going to go on, what goes on at the crucifixion. What we need to understand going into this is something that comes out of the book of Romans, but but it's clearly the the picture. What are the wages of sin? Death. And when it says death, it means death being separated from God. In other words, a separation. God cannot look on us in our sinful nature. And so, this picture is is of of Jesus here. In chapter 27, verses 45 through 50. Now, from the sixth hour... 
there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out. He's on the cross at this point. Cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lima, Sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and, and took a sponge filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to him and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. In John chapter 19 it says, Jesus cried out, it is finished. It is done. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. And the tombs were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs, after the resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Jesus on the cross became a curse for us. Let me read from Galatians, the third chapter. And it's out of, out of also taking a, a picture out of Deuteronomy. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that the, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Christ, to be, to be put on the cross, was to be hung on a tree was the picture would make Him a curse for us. He was cursed for us. In John chapter 19, it clearly points to His death. He was crucified, dead, and buried. And here in John 19, it speaks of Him being dead. Verse 28. Oh, excuse me. Skipped one chapter there. Verse, chapter 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to His mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. And He bowed His head and gave up His Spirit. As I was studying this, somebody made a very interesting side note. Sour wine is what? Vinegar. Okay? Have you ever had a sore on your hands or anything like that and you've 
touched, you know, you picked up a sponge or a rag with vinegar in it and felt the, 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 the searing, quick charge of pain. Okay? Can you imagine? And this was pointed out, I'd never, ever considered this before. Can you imagine as this sponge is lifted up, okay, to where Jesus' face is, and they push it against his mouth, all of that wine vinegar going across all his open wounds. And the pain that even that would be. Matthew chapter 28 tells us about his burial. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 27. Uh, it says, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea. His name was Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. And then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and he wrapped it in a clean linen shroud. And he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb, and he went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. So here Jesus is buried. And again, I mentioned this uh, either last week or the week before. When a person was crucified on the cross, he was to be cast into a common grave without a marker, without anything. And yet it says in Isaiah that he would be with a rich man in his death. And here it is the picture. He's taken by a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, and put in his own personal tomb that had not been used yet and laid out there and then the stone put in its place. Jesus, He's now dead. He is now buried. And the the next question comes, what should follow? We're dealing with this phrase that He descended into hell and we'll get to that in just a moment. But basically what happens, and, and I've decided, I was trying to figure out a way to, to create a, a picture for you uh, that might help. And uh, again, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, verse uh, chapter 16, we have a picture that takes us to what happens at death. Luke chapter 16. Uh, you're, it's a familiar parable, but Jesus, when He told parables, they weren't based on uh, imagine, uh, imagination or things like that. He based His parables on truth. And here's one of them. It says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with, the, with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, when the dogs came and licked his sores, and the poor man died and was carried by the angels 
to Abraham's side. Keep that in your mind now. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now, the audacity of what comes up next is is amazing. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Even in this condition, he has the audacity to, to look over and see Lazarus and say, man, I've been feeding this guy forever, and now it's his turn to serve me. That's implied in this. This guy hasn't figured it out yet. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is coming comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able. And none may cross from there to us. The rich man and Lazarus, they're in a place called Hades or Sheol. Sheol is the Old Testament. Hades is the Greek in the New Testament. It's a place where you have a one side, if you will, is it's like two compartments, you know, two two sides to it. One side is for the wicked, one side is for the righteous. They can possibly, at a distance, see each other. But it's a holding place. And it's waiting for the resurrection of Christ to bring about a transition. But in the meantime, you have this place of torment, which is where the wicked are. The rich man was in that category. And Lazarus was in the righteous category. And he was with Abraham. It says Abraham's side. Some of your scripture will read Abraham's bosom. What it means is that he was embraced and, and protected by Abraham. And it tells you that he's where you would want to be. And uh, the question mark here is did Jesus go there? That's what it says when it says he descended into hell. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching his first message to on, on the day of Pentecost. And he speaks to the men of Israel. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man arrested, uh, attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs, that God did through Him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up and according to the excuse me, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised Him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, 
and my uh, uh, Torge rejoiced. He says, My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you, Paul answers, says to this, with confidence that the patriarch David, he, he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of, uh, and of that we are all a witness. The implication here is that it, in some format, Jesus descended into hell. Don't think of hell like the, the, the hell that uh, we see in Revelation, Guiana. Uh, it, it's not the hell of fire and brimstone. It's just a separating place for the, the wicked and the righteous. He paid the full price, death. And it says, according to what Peter is speaking here, that Jesus, He, his, he was the Holy One that, that David spoke of in Psalm 16, and that he would not, His body would not see corruption, and that He would not be left to Sheol or Hades. It least leaves the door open to consider this statement. And it's, what's interesting is you could probably get 50 commentaries and get 50 slightly different ideas about he descended into hell. Because it's a phrase that stands alone. We don't have anything to back it up. We don't have a lot of other Scriptures to go with it to, to test it out and see about it. So you have to come to a conclusion. And my thing was, it's all interesting, but what's really important here? What's really important here is not to get hung up on a, on a detail of whether a particular verse fits your theology or not. It's to look and see what happened. The main thing that we see here is that Jesus was hung on a tree, on a cross. thus becoming a curse for us all. He drank the cup of God's wrath to the point where He could say on the cross, it is finished. Paid in full. That means that there's absolutely nothing that we can bring before the throne of God that would add to what He has already given us. There's nothing we need to accumulate, nothing we need to uh, gain uh, other than our confession in Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and raised from the dead. And at that point, it says in Romans chapter 10, you will be saved. And that's what we hang on to here. 
There is another picture here that I think is really important to grasp too, though. Because the idea of, of God and, 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 and sin and facing sin and Jesus on the cross, there's another phrase that we haven't dealt with yet. In Matthew chapter 27, we have this passage starting with verse 45. It says, Now from the sixth hour, I read this already, there was a darkness over all the land with the ninth hour, and at the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sakatani. That is, my God, my God, why hast you forsaken me? To be forsaken means to be abandoned. It's as if God had to turn His head away as Jesus became the curse for us, as He became sin for us. That comes from David's prophetic psalm. It starts out this way. Chapter, uh, psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? Why are You so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. And as we go through this, what you're going to see is this is what Christ is experiencing on the cross. In the, in the Gospels, we have what was looked at and we could see happening on the cross. This is Christ on the cross. A prophetic picture of Christ on the cross and what's happening and how He sees it. My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? Why are You so far from saving Me? From the words of my mouth, uh, from the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry by day, but You do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In You our fathers trusted. They trusted and You delivered them. To You they cried and they were rescued. In You they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek, see Me mock Me. They, mock, they make mouths at Me and they wag their heads. In other words, they, they throw insults and, and shake their head at Him as they are at the cross, at the foot of the cross. He trusts in the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him, for He delights in Him. Yet you are He who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I cast my, I, was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Basham surround me. They open wide their mouths at me. Like ravening and roaring, like a ravening and roaring lion, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. By the way, when the cross was put up, they were nailed to the cross. Arms might have been tied as well. And then the cross is brought up by ropes, people pulling ropes, and then a guy with a big mallet wax it until it's moved over to drop into the hole that holds it steady. And the hole is fairly deep. Have you ever stepped off a curb, just stepped off a curb wrong and felt the jolt clear up into your neck? Well, you can imagine where it says here, all my bones are out of joint. 
My strength is dried up like a pot shirt. It means like a piece of pottery left out in the desert. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. And it goes on. Jesus on the cross, He saw them mocking Him, yelling at Him, screaming at Him. And finally, as things were completed, He could say it is finished. And He gave up His Spirit. Jesus knows. He has experienced separation from the Father. He knows the eternal pain and suffering of being separated from the Father as only an eternal being can do and still be with us. It takes an eternal being to be able to experience these things and go through it and then and, and be able to hold it for us and He knows exactly what the suffering should be for us. And yet, He'll say, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus in Romans chapter 8. Jesus knows. He's experienced. He understands. It says clearly in the Scriptures, on the third day He rose again. Uh, just again looking at Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were prepared, perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but He has risen. The women coming to anoint His body find an empty tomb. The angels tell Him, He has risen. Jesus appears several times to various disciples and people, as many as 500 at one point. He appeared, some of the ones that I find fascinating to me are the road to Emmaus. I enjoy that one. Uh, as, as He walks along with the, the two men and they don't really recognize who He is. And of course, they weren't expecting to see Him either. But possibly my favorite one is where he appears to the disciples except for Thomas. And so the following time he appears to the disciples, Thomas is with them. What does Thomas do? He touches him. He's allowed to touch his side. He sees his hands. By the way, if he can touch him, what does that tell you about Jesus? It's a physical, bodily resurrection. There's another time where Jesus eats with them. Physical body. 
J.I. Packer in a brief discussion of this just simply writes, what does Jesus' rising mean? What is the significance of Jesus rising? In a word, it is marked it, it, it marked Jesus out as the Son of God. It vindicated His righteousness. It demonstrated victory over death. It guaranteed the believer's forgiveness and justification and His own future resurrection too. Our resurrection. Uh, going back to like 1 Corinthians 15.18. And it, it uh, brings him into the reality of resurrection life now. We are to be sharing together in resurrection life now. It's already and not yet, or not yet and already, however you want to put that phrase. The idea is, is that we are already in resurrection life. We are with Jesus Christ as our head. We are living a life that has already been claimed by God to be eternal. We are going to live with Christ and share with Him. We are joint heirs with Jesus all these things, we are that right now. That's who we are. And not only that, we have to look forward to face to face and getting a picture of what we can't see now much clearer. It's an amazing thing to think that the God of all creation, the author of our salvation, became a curse for us. He hung on a tree for us so that we could know Him to see the Father and have eternal life. That's who we are. In communion, we talk about Sharing and and and, and the, the emblems, the, the cup representing the blood of Christ and the bread representing the body of Christ. By the way, Christ's suffering began at His birth. In fact, it probably began in the womb in the sense that He had emptied Himself. He had already began to be less than what He was in, in heaven in the sense of, a, of emptying Himself. And, and through His life, and growing up as a person, uh, I, I, people have weird images of Christ uh, sometimes, especially various backgrounds of churches and stuff. But the idea is, is that Jesus didn't come out of the womb talking. He had to learn to talk. He had to learn to walk. He had to. Do you think Jesus might have ever fallen and skinned his knee? I think he. I think it's a logical thing to assume that it happened to him. You know. Uh, all of these things. He was, a, he was a fully human person and yet fully God. And He came for the purposes of saving us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 28, we are told to examine ourselves in reference to communion. When we take communion, it's not just something that we do to just to remembrance of, of Christ. It's an opportunity to come before Christ and ask for His forgiveness, for His grace, for His mercy, and to examine ourselves if, to see if there would be any sin 
uh, in us that needs to be confessed. So it's a time of confession, a time of reflection, a time of examination. And so, uh, as we approach communion this morning, as we sing how deep the Father's love for us, uh, think of, of, of those words of, of self-examination. I was looked at the words to this song. It says, Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Again, that picture. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. In other words, every one of us has sin. Every one of us has things to reflect on and bring before the throne of God. And communion is an excellent time to do that. We have the communion up here. Uh, we ask that while we are singing the communion song uh, that you come up and pick up the communion. Hold it until we've all been served and we'll share together.
Corinthians, in chapter 11, Paul writes, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and He said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Let us share the bread. In the same way, also, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to share this time of communion together. We ask, Lord, that it would always be a time of of special sharing and, 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 and communion with You, Lord, and with each other as a fellowship of the body of Christ. We thank You for the gift of life that You have purchased for us. Using the the words from today's message, we thank You, Lord, that You were willing to become a curse and hang on the tree in order to purchase our salvation. And so we gladly confess with our mouth and, and, and believe in our hearts, Lord. You are the Christ, the Son of God, risen from the grave. We worship You. We praise You. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close, please? And uh, if you have time to fellowship for a little while, feel free to stay and visit for a while. And uh, Lord bless. Thank You for being here this morning.
Oh, 